Hey, everybody, welcome to the Addiction Unlimited podcast, where you get to learn everything you want to know about addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Angela Pugh, co-founder of Kansas City Recovery, life coach, and recovering alcoholic. To learn more about me, you can listen to episode zero on your podcast app or find us on the web at addictionunlimited.com. Hello, my friends. Welcome to episode number 173 of the Addiction Unlimited podcast. I'm your coach, Angela Pugh, master level life coach, recovering alcoholic and entrepreneur, here to help you figure out this sober journey, rebuild your life, and have fun while you're doing it. And on that note of fun, I think you're going to love today's guest. I've got Scott Strode coming on. We have this incredible conversation that hopefully will bring some more ideas and resources to you guys in your alcohol-free life. So Scott Strode is the founder of an organization, a nonprofit called The Phoenix. And what they do is they provide exercise and workouts and camaraderie and fellowship for sober people. You only have to be 48 hours sober to show up to one of their events. And Scott really breaks this down. You guys, like he has thought of everything. This is such an amazing resource and it's nationwide. So people are popping up and creating chapters of the Phoenix all over the country. What I really love about this is I know when you are just entering this new lifestyle, right? You're in this place that you're like, OMG, I cannot do this anymore. I can't drink anymore. I have to make changes. I'm exhausted. I just can't live like this anymore. I can't do it. When you're in that spot, you start taking those steps, right? You put down the drink. You start figuring out the things. What do I do? How do I spend my time? And it can get a little boring. (laughs) I hear this from you guys a lot, right? We're always talking about being bored. And boring is on some level a choice. You know, my sponsor said to me, Angela, if you're bored, you're being boring. And that was so good for me to hear because what it did is made me understand that it's my responsibility, right? And it's a choice. Like if I'm sitting around being bored, that's a choice I'm making because I could just as easily make the choice to get off my buns and go do something, you know, and fill my time and find something to not be bored. So that's my responsibility. It's your responsibility. But the flip side of it is, I know that when you're new in sobriety also, you don't know all the things that are available. There is a whole world of activities out there, and it's one of my favorite things to do is to bring those to light and share those with you guys so you can start filling your lives and feeling more fulfilled alcohol-free because it's hard to transition from your old lifestyle and that old identity and moving into a new lifestyle and a new identity and you have no idea what that's going to look like. And you know, I probably talk about it on every single episode of Addiction Unlimited, you know the key factor in all of this is having a tribe. 
You have to have people you are connected to. You have to have people to talk to, share your experiences with, feel that connection, acceptance, love, all of those things. And the Phoenix is an incredible way to do that. Let's welcome Scott Strode. You guys, I am so excited to do this episode, and this is almost in its own way a part two because we had somebody from this organization on the show a long time ago, back in the very beginning, like I think probably in my first 20 episodes, maybe Brittany was on and she was talking about the Phoenix, such a cool organization. And today we have Scott Strode with us, who is the originator, I will call him. Hey, Scott, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for doing this with me. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Why don't you take just a minute and let everybody know a little bit about you and what you do? Sure. So um, I'm the executive director and the founder of The Phoenix. And The Phoenix is a nonprofit that uses the inherent transformative power of activities and connection to help people who are healing from substance use disorder. So we use activities uh, such as yoga and meditation and outdoor activities, CrossFit, boxing, climbing, a whole bunch of things. They're all free. Uh, most of our activity leaders are volunteer peers in recovery or someone who's been touched by addiction in their life. And um, that we're all across the country. We started in Colorado, but we're now in 55 plus uh, communities and just getting started. And I'm in, I'm in recovery myself. This was a big part of my own journey to, to, to start moving my body and find a group of people who would rather get up at five in the morning and climb a mountain than stay up till five in the morning drinking and using. <laughs> right. Amen to that. It's such a cool idea. Like what was the, how did this come to you that you wanted to start something like this? And how did you decide the structure of it? And I would love for you to talk a little bit more about the volunteers and how it's in different communities and how that happens, because it really is a very cool setup. And I'm just curious, like, how did the idea come to you and then how to structure it? Yeah. So the, essentially one of my climbing partners, uh, in recovery was also sober and, um, one of my other climbing partners was a clinical social worker. And so she had her doc was getting her doctorate in social work. And so between them and a few other friends in recovery, I just kind of brought everybody together in my living room about 15 years ago and said, what do you think if we start this um, nonprofit and here's the idea, it would all be free. We were originally called Phoenix Multisport at the time, but the multi-sport side kind of limited us to just physical activity. So we opened it up and rebranded re to the Phoenix and now have, you know, social events and, you know, music and all sorts of other things that are part of, part of the program. And the reason it was sort of born, um, you know, from not only just my experience, but theirs also was that. I saw so many of my friends in recovery really struggling coming out of formal treatment with, with all of their identity, even though a lot of it was negative stripped away, right? Like don't be this person anymore, but no one really was helping people figure out who this new person was. 
And I just knew that when I stood on top of mountains and crossed finish lines, like something changed within me and I wanted to take other people with me and do the same thing. So um, that's how it got started. Uh, we always wanted it to be a national nonprofit, not because we wanted to build a big national nonprofit because it's actually a ton of work, <laughs> but um, <laughs> because the need was so great. Right. Like I so many of us in recovery or seeking recovery or just in social isolation, fearful of the relapse, trying to kind of piece together who we are in recovery. And and I just felt there there needed to be more tools in the toolbox to help us around recovery support. So that's that's why the Phoenix was born. And and uh, as you mentioned, the volunteers, um, we started to realize that a lot of people wanted to start Phoenix with us alongside us. So I see it more now as a movement than an organization. The organization just keeps the ball rolling and in handles the insurance and all the other stuff. But, but the movement part of it is that if you're, if you move your body or you want to bring people together, or you're in recovery or you've been touched by addiction through a loved one and you want to help, you can raise your hand to become a Phoenix activity leader and we can start Phoenix in your community. So if you wanted to you know, lead a yoga class or a bike ride, we can train you in the model. We'll support you. We'll get everything on our platform so it can reach as many people as possible. But that's how we've been growing now for the last few years. And we're opening it up to people across the country now. So it's really exciting. Yeah, I was curious about that too, because I also own uh, men's sober living houses and we do have, it's kind of strange. It's, I feel like you're one extreme or the other, right? Which of course, as addicts, we're kind of that way, but I have in my houses, I always see this split, like we'll have a portion of the guys that are hardcore exercise all the time. It's super important to them, very important to their recovery. And then we have the other side and I've been both. We have the other side that is, you know, the lazy, like lounging around watching TV, not into physical activity, not caring what they eat. And it is fascinating because I have been both of those people, but what is, I've always thought like how cool it would be if one of my guys wanted to start a chapter, I don't know what you call it, but here in Kansas yeah, city where, yeah, where it could really be an additional piece of uh, our city and our community. That community piece is so important to me. And not only in the connection and fellowship of being with other people, but I think one of the most overlooked pieces of recovery is fun. And it's so powerful what you said about the identity piece of that, right? When you're coming out of treatment, like you're walking out of your addiction and you want to leave that identity behind, but you have no idea what your new identity is. You don't know who or what you're stepping into. And while you're going through all of that and dealing with getting back into regular life and dealing with triggers and family situations and financial stuff. I mean, it's a lot, right? Most of us have made a pretty big mess by the time we're getting sober. And as you're dealing with all of those things, it's like, we forget that we have to have fun. 
I have to enjoy myself. My sober life has to be fun. If it's not fun, I'm not going to stay. <laughs> you know, So yeah. the connection and community part of that is really big just in the fun aspect also. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's, it's good that you call that out too. Like the, the idea that we can do this at an extreme too. And I think that the, for example, when people become a volunteer at the Phoenix, so say that some of the guys there did want to start a, a chapter and that's the right language, that would be great. And we would take them through the Phoenix training. And in that we talk about, you know, physical and emotional safety and inclusivity and accessibility to the program because the, the, there's this risk, you know, if, if we've been seeking our emotional well-being externally, often through drinking and drugging, right? Um, and then we lose that, you know, we can sometimes find something else and grab onto it with the same negative sort of coping mechanism, you know, kind of pitfall. Um, and sometimes exercise can be that for some people. So at Phoenix, we always say that, you know, sort of the des desired stimulus around the workout is inclusivity. Right. It's not about getting mm -hmm. bigger muscles or, you know, running faster or whatever that might happen too, but mm -hmm. really it's inclusivity. Um, and, and knowing that everybody that comes to a Phoenix event, um, needs to be there, right. The, where they, where else they could be is actually back in their addiction. So we try to make it a really inclusive space. And there are times we have to have conversations about, your relationship with exercise for, for folks if they're like taking it to that extreme and we've had that happen in the early days you know the the guy that comes to one event and then he's walking around with like weight gainer 2000 and went to gnc and bought every <laughs> supplement and just hasn't taken a rest day in a month you know and you're like hey man let's talk about balance and but the thing is some of those lessons obviously carry over into our recovery and help bolster our approach towards that as well yeah, I've had some of those conversations too. I was like, dude, I'm pretty sure you're kind of abusing your pre-workout. <laughs> like, I don't think this is healthy anymore. <laughs> but we are so compulsive. <laughs> and I, I'm glad that you brought that up too, because that is an important piece to, to realize and to have an awareness of. Because we do anything I do as a person with addiction, if I do something and like it, I will want to do more of it. So I can be compulsive with absolutely anything. I can be compulsive with people, with my friends. Um, you know, I share a story on the podcast. I've shared it before. Several years ago, I met one of my girlfriends and I just loved her, right? We had this fantastic conversation. I feel like I could talk to her forever. And I caught myself, I was probably four or five years sober then. And I caught myself like going home and thinking, oh, I wonder what she's doing later. I wonder what she's doing this weekend. Maybe she'll want to have coffee. Maybe she'll want to go see a movie. Maybe I should see if she wants to go to dinner, right? <laughs> like there goes that obsessive, yeah. like compulsive thing. Like I can do it with anything and exercise for sure. You know, there are a lot of things to be mindful of. And I just love that you really addressed that. And, and that's a part of that training because- that and it can also be triggering for other people. Absolutely, and with with that in mind, you know, we've always had sort of a a team member agreement. We call it where you sort of agree to certain things to be part of the Phoenix community. And essentially, it's it's anything that isn't nurturing isn't welcome. And it's not like we kick people out. We understand we're all works in progress, right? So 
but you know, it's it's uh, Phoenix isn't a dating club. We wear appropriate apparel when we're working out. You know, it's not like the the gym where everybody takes their shirt off right before the workout starts. That kind of thing. Just because we know a lot of us show up here with pretty complex backgrounds, and you know, I'm a survivor of early childhood trauma stuff, and. For me, you know, my self-esteem wounds were a big part of my addiction story. So, you know, I want to be in a space where I'm sort of loved and accepted for all the parts of me, even the things I'm still working on. And Phoenix has that grace with people. It's not like you get kicked out. You know, you'll have a conversation, say, do you see why that's not supportive of the community? And maybe, you know, if it's a more severe infraction, we may say, take a week off come back and talk to the coach before you come back to your next event. Just make sure you're right for the Phoenix space and that you're ready to uphold this community the way we're trying to. Um, so yeah. we have that like a handrail for folks as they're still in their recovery journey. Yeah, that's fantastic. Now give me a, a little inside view. What does it look like if you are a person that wants to do a Phoenix event, find one in your community? Like how do people go about finding it? Yeah. So we're in about a month and a half, we're going to um, release our app. So you can download our mobile app at that point. It's not out yet, but right now you just go to the phoenix.org. You choose whether you want to come to a live stream class or an in-person one. Some folks who are newer to fitness, you know, you can show up at a live stream Keep your camera off, you know, stay on mute and just be there. <laughs> That's fine. Just chat, type in the chat or something. But um, you can also uh, search by zip code. It'll pull up a Phoenix event that's nearest to you. Um, if there aren't ones near you, then maybe you're the person that can help start them. And, um, but if you do want to help start Phoenix uh, programs, there's also a volunteer tab. And you click on that, it'll take you through a virtual volunteer activation and a, a Phoenix staff member will reach out to you. But then you just show up at that event. You have to have 48 hours clean and sober to come to a Phoenix event. It's sort of a low threshold to entry because we know a lot of people are maybe dipping their toe in the water. Or if they did relapse, we want to take the power out of that and get re-engaged really quickly. Um, but you show up at the event. People will take you through the community standards that I talked about. Uh, we'll do sort of an icebreaker just to get to know each other a little bit. And we'll do the event, whether it's art night or a workout or yoga. And uh, what I love about it is often we come into these events with the stress of our day and our recovery journey on our shoulders. And when you leave, you're like laughing, laughing and fist bumping and high fiving and just talking to your new friends. And most of that stuff is melted away and you kind of have a reset. And the beauty is the more you come to Phoenix, then you can actually be the person who's there to help lift others when they come the first time. And there's that paying forward that exists within the 12 step community also. Yeah. It's such a it's such a life changing concept, you know, to be of service. And when you really shift and become service minded and not so just consumed with yourself, <laughs> because, again, as addicts, we can take that to a whole new level. <laughs> yeah. And I would argue that we're actually not that alone. You know, that when the folks refer to normies, I don't think there's anyone who's really 
necessarily that normal. I think we're all normal in our imperfections as people and we're all in recovery from something. Ours just got loud enough that we had to listen to it. So it's actually in some ways a blessing in that regard, I think. There's nothing normal about those people. <laughs> they yeah, have just yeah. as many issues as we have. Our issues are just a little different. That's all. <laughs> that's right. But you know, it's so true too that I I say being an alcoholic is the best thing that ever happened to me because exactly what you said, like my issue, my struggle got so great that I was really forced to take action and make big change in my life. And I never would have gotten to that point if I wasn't an alcoholic and the person I've gotten to grow into and the communities I've gotten to be a part of, the friendships I've made, clients all over the world, like I, this life is incredible and I wouldn't have a piece of it if I wasn't an alcoholic. Yeah, I, I agree too. I, I think that the, the life I was living, not just from my substance use, but the way I built my life around using that coping mechanism, um, was is so is a fraction of the full potential of what my life has become because of stepping into recovery and you know we you hear it all the time right like the tough part about recovery is you feel everything and fully and the gift is you get to full feel everything fully right and that's something that a lot of people don't have and so it's it is a real a real gift i think it's super empowering also to know that I can now cope with so far, almost anything, you know, so far I've learned how to deal with some really significant life issues and tragedy and sadness and all those things that everybody goes through. But it's very empowering to know you can get through those things without a crutch, so to speak, without a substance. To me, that's huge because I couldn't have even imagined that in my drinking life, right? Like I couldn't imagine doing anything without drinking, but certainly not dealing with feelings. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I appreciate you calling that out because I think that it, it reminds me a lot. My early recovery, climbing was a big part of it. And when you're on a larger mountain climbing together, there's going to be days where you're stronger than me and, and I may lean on you. Maybe you carry a little more weight in your backpack or maybe that day I'm stronger and I carry a little more. But that's how we climb together, you know, and I think that in recovery, when we build that fellowship around ourselves or the Phoenix community that's supporting you, when you're shocked by the realities of life, like you just mentioned, you don't have to pick up and drink or use because you have all of this support you can lean on. And the beauty of it is it, a week later, you may be there for those people that were there for you the day you needed them. And that's the magic. I often say that about Phoenix, like you, you come for the workout, but you're actually staying for the friendships. And, and it's in that that you really find the strength to stay sober. Yeah. So in your own recovery journey, what would you say, like, when was the first time you thought, I think I have a problem, like where it had crossed a line from just 
regular drinking using, I'm not sure if you were both or one or the other, but where you crossed a line that you were like, uh Oh, I think I need to look at this. Yeah. I had a really hard time finding that because of how I grew up. I grew up around alcoholism. And so, you know, I, I joke about this, but it is true. It sort of, it wasn't a family picnic till somebody went to the emergency room. Right. Like it was just, that's just how it happened. And and you saw drinking be such a focal point. And, and so, you know, really pretty severe, um, addictive, you know, or alcoholic um, behavior was normalized. And so for me, I started like, um, that was my touchstone, right? So I didn't know how the sort of rest of the world, you know, what their relationship was until after years of drinking and using, and I started to realize that like most people go home when the bars close, they don't go to the after party and then they go home alone. Then they miss work. Then two days later, they're buying crack on the street. And, you know, it's like, it was, it took a while for me to realize, but like, I, I think the, the moments that really struck me when I started to really reflect on my relationship with substances was when I started to see the dreams of who I thought I could be or who I thought I should be being stripped away. And I was working with at-risk youth in Boston um, in these sort of experiential programs. And at night, I would, during the day, I was telling them how they should live their life. And then at night, I was living the opposite. And, and some of these kids had just been, you know, grew up sort of in on the street and really tough environments and they could see through that, right? Like they just knew that I wasn't that different from their dad or the, the people they were partying with or whatever. They could kind of see that within me. And, and it was a harsh kind of reflection. Like when I started to realize that I was not being authentic and showing up for them and a hypocrite and how I was living my life, it was like a, a beginning of that contemplative sort of process. And I think the big one too was just had a friend who was like really sort of down and out and having a difficult time. And was I was trying to help her through that. And she said to me, have you ever thought about quitting drinking? It was the first time anybody said that out loud to me. And I was like, wait, your life's all jacked up and you're telling me that I might have a problem. And then I realized like, I might have a problem, <laughs> you know, and actually her life maybe isn't as jacked up as it looks. And I'm the one that maybe needs to be doing some self-reflection. And it, it honestly took about a year and a half after some of that awareness before I actually could stop. I, w I would never say I relapsed in that year and a half because I never stopped drinking or using long enough to call it recovery. I would try mm -hmm. and fail. I would do all this stuff we all do where you know, I'm not going to, I'm only going to drink hard liquor because it's really beer that does it, or maybe it's hard liquor. So I'll switch or, and, um, but sure enough, I would, I would start drinking. I would relapse on drugs. I would be back out. And, um, finally a year and a half later, I, I put down for the last time. I remember my best girlfriend said to me one time, she was like, maybe you should only drink wine. 
And I said, I was like, I don't think it's what I drink. I think it's that I drink a hundred of them. (laughs) I don't think it matters what's in the glass. I think it's how many glasses there are. (laughs) I love it when you do the math. You're like, wait, that would actually have to be like five bottles of wine as opposed to just this little (laughs) bottle of vodka. You know, like you start like thinking that way and then you realize like that's not that's not the typical thought process. So, well, that's not normal thinking. I remember one time I was a bartender for a long, long time. And I remember one time being behind the bar and these two girls were sitting at the bar, like doing their happy hour thing. And they were talking about somebody they worked with or whatever. And I just remember one of them said, she goes, I mean, she drank a whole bottle of wine. And I remember thinking, I was like, isn't that like three glass, like three and a half glasses or something. Like, I mean, I, like I have three drinks, like in the shower to get ready, to get ready, you know? And they were like blown away that she was drinking this much. And I was like, huh, maybe mm. I don't think about this the right way. You know? Yeah. They see, there's all those little signals that we just didn't hear them when they first came up. It's just, uh, but I'm glad I eventually heard, heard the message. Yeah. What was your path? Like once you finally quit, what, I mean, how did you like, I always say for a long time, I couldn't even figure out how to start stopping, you know, like it sounds so silly, but it's like you, you know, okay, I don't take the next drink, but what the heck do you do after that? Right? Like what was the process for you? Like really starting to string some days together? You know, I, I guess I'll, share that but also share it in a way that if folks are watching or listening to this that you can think about how you might change your own path you know because i think that what what i in reflection what i actually did was just try to do things differently i tried to change the way i was interacting i knew i had a problem i just didn't know how to change it so i tried everything and I think just getting out there and, and changing your patterns and what you do and who you do it with and how you do it and you know is a good start. Um, for me, I didn't find my way to the rooms, so the twelve step, you know, kind of process wasn't part of my recovery until I was about six years in recovery. Um, but I I knew I had to change, and I, I I remember I went on this almost went on a camping trip when I was a kid. And it got canceled because of rain. But I had this idea of like how great it would be to be outdoorsy. And I didn't even know what that meant. But I went to like an outdoor store, like an REI, and I got like a Gore-Tex jacket. I'm like, I'm going to go camping and hiking. And I don't even know how to do that, but I'm going to try it. And I saw this brochure for climbing, for ice climbing. And I thought, I'm going to sign up for a class. And I stayed sober the night before so I wouldn't be hungover and I could actually go do it. And I went out climbing and the guide that took me climbing effortlessly went up this terrain in front of us. And I struggled my way up it, like just sweating and like pale white. I was smoking cigarettes at the time. I was like just so deconditioned. And I thought, can I ever climb like this guy? And I also thought about how hard it was for me. And that really reflected everything in my life felt that hard. And I just tried to make these little goals and get a little bit better. And then I realized if I stayed sober two nights on the weekend, I could actually climb two days. And that turned into sober weekends and I drink during the week. And then 
put some time together on the weekend. And then I realized if I trained, I could actually get better at it. And eventually that led me to a boxing gym. There were some other sober guys in there. And that was really the beginning that that was my Phoenix experience before it had a name was getting in the boxing gym and eventually doing triathlon. And I finally was able to get sober, um, kind of filled those things into my life. And to me, I think it's in some ways what um, I've heard about, like eating healthier instead of taking food away, try putting nutritious food in. And over time, it's easier to shed the, the things that aren't as nurturing for your body. And I think it's a similar thing for my recovery journey. This is such a phenomenal concept, too. I love that you phrased it that way, that you just tried to do things differently. We talk about this in Addiction Unlimited, for sure. We talk about this all the time in if you want your life to be different, you have to do things differently. So just that most simple concept of doing things differently is so powerful. That's so good. Yeah, it really, it really helped. Um, my therapist once said, walk into a room, think of all the people that you want to talk to, and then talk to everybody else. <laughs> I'm an introvert. I would I, just leave. <laughs> yeah, because I used to just like radar right to the people who would who would join me in a tray full of shots for everybody in the room. And, right, and, right. You know, so it was just uh, honestly climbing, getting to the top of my first climb was a huge moment. You know, just that sense of accomplishment. That's that sense that the narrative in my head about my self-worth, maybe it wasn't true. And maybe I had this intrinsic value and I didn't see it through that lens then, but it started to crack open, um, the work that would ultimately keep me in, in recovery long-term. Yeah, that's fantastic. So how did you find your way to 12 steps at six years sober? I, <laughs> like, I just, I mean, talk about a plot twist. Yeah. I just started having a lot, so many people in my life in recovery, um, when Phoenix was starting in the early days and a bunch of them were going to a meeting. So I was like, Oh, I'll go to a meeting. And, um, as I'm, you know, just in April celebrated 24 years. So the meetings around Boston when I was getting sober were pretty old school, you know, and I just didn't, as a young person, I, I felt like I was the youngest person in Boston that didn't drink. And then I actually thought I was the only person in Boston <laughs> that didn't drink, but, um, <laughs> but I didn't connect at that point with, with the 12 step community. So I ended up working the steps at about seven years or sorry, six years in recovery. Um, and, you know, now I go once in a while to the 12, 12 step uh, meetings, but, you know, my sponsor ultimately ended up passing away. And, and um, now, you know, Phoenix really is my fellowship. Yeah. You know, I think it's a misconception in the 12 step world that you're supposed to go like every day for the rest of your life. And <laughs> that really isn't the point. You know, of course, some people do that. Uh, but the whole point of recovery, and, and it talks about this in 12 steps too, the whole point is to get your life back so that you can go out and be in the world without being fearful of alcohol, right? Without having to be fearful of going places or doing certain events because of alcohol. The whole point is to get your life back and go out and, and live a full, happy, healthy life. 
And I'm the same way. I don't, I don't go every day. You know, Liz, I went every day for a long time. Like I was not missing a meeting because I was so determined to not drink. Like I would do anything to make sure it stuck that I wasn't drinking. And, and I had so much fun. You know, my friends were there. I looked forward to going, I got really involved in my group. So I was doing all the extracurricular things and going to the business meetings and holding service positions and leading meetings. Like I just had a freaking blast. It was also the most simple my life had been in a very long time, right? Mm -hmm. Because drinking and whatever your life, all that unmanageability, it's chaos, it's drama. It's, you know, for me, it was dysfunctional relationship after dysfunctional relationship. And it was financial issues and getting my electricity turned off just because I didn't pay the damn thing, you know, not because I didn't have the money. I just didn't do it. You know, it was all that unmanageability and hanging out with crazy people and going to a bar on Sunset Boulevard to watch a band. And I end up sitting in the back with a famous actor who thinks he's overdosing on cocaine. And, you know, and I'm sitting like being the babysitter, like it's unmanageability. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and when I got sober, all of that stuff was kind of lifted. My life just got very simple, very easy. And all of the fun that I had, you know, is with my sober friends. So yeah. I loved going there. But now, I mean, fast forward all these years, like I'm not going every day. I love it there. I still have friends there. I will always support 12 steps because it saved my life, you know, and when I got sober, there weren't other options. You know, I didn't have all kinds of programs to choose from, which I'm glad because I would have just overthought it and, you know, probably would have drank another five years, but <laughs> yeah. it was good that it was like, here you go. This is where you go and just go do it. Um, but yeah, I go to, I try to go to a meeting a week and, you know, some weeks are more successful than others, but for me, it's more about making sure I'm always nourishing the recovery part of my soul. You know, I want to always be in good, healthy recovery conversations. I want to always be aware of that being service-minded and make sure you're helping other people and being of service to other people. You know, but you don't have to learn all that stuff in 12 steps either, or practice. You don't have to go to 12 steps to practice it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, you know, you, you certainly do this. I think of it in this way too, is like, I think it's important to go if that's the place where you feel like you can be there for folks that are coming that are new, then go to the rooms. If you can be of service in that way through your work, which you certainly do, then do it through that. And if I can do that through Phoenix, then that's where I find that. You know, I do think that those of us that sort of get out of the burning building have some responsibility to be able to reach back in and help others get out. But whether you do that through your nonprofit work or your daily work or through being of service in the rooms, I think, I think you can show up in a lot of different ways and still have a hand to reach out to folks that could use it. For sure. And the important part of that is that you want to be of service and <laughs> reach out and help and make it easier for others. You know, that's the important piece. Okay. Last question, favorite question. What is your favorite thing about being a sober person? 
I think my favorite thing about being a sober person is the sort of circling back to where we started. You know, it gave me an opportunity to step into who I feel I was really supposed to be. And drinking and drugging and all the chaos around it got in the way of. You know, I think for me, I had some pretty severe wounds that I had to heal. And it showed up in every aspect of my life. Um, my relationship with drugs and alcohol, my the way I was unable to love myself, the thought that I wasn't actually deserving of love, which affected relationships and all sorts of stuff. And I, I think that had I not got into recovery, I would have just taken that pain and just given it to the next generation. Um, and I forget who says that quote, but it's, you know, pain is passed from generation to generation until someone's willing to feel it. Mm-hmm. And that just really speaks to me because I think really that is that is the the why. I think we need to start looking at sort of the why behind our relationship with substances if we're going to interrupt the transmission of that to the next generation. So I'd say it's being able to step in the, the gratitude I have and being able to step into my full life. Yeah, that's so good. So good. And it is all that pain is passed down. And also I think the saying hurt people hurt people. And that was something that I recognized in, you know, as a side effect of my own trauma, right. Is that I could be, I would hurt people. I could be a hurtful person. And it's, I had all this resentment toward the world and people that hurt me, but in the same breath, I was hurting other people too. And healing that stuff really allows you to step out of those roles and, and not carry it and not pass it along. Agreed. Yeah, I agree. Totally. Okay. Tell us one more time. How do we find you? Just go to the phoenix.org and um, you can find Phoenix programs. You can volunteer to help start Phoenix. If it's within your means, you can donate to support the Phoenix. And, um, you know, the beauty of it, 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 like I said, it's not really an organization. It's a movement. And this belief, it's in our saying, you know, rise, recover, live. This idea that that that's what we can do together. And um, we can be there for each other on that journey and share something that you love with other people, um, whether it's, you know, art night or a CrossFit class. And, and um, I think there's something special about the sweat, right? Like through the sweat together, we get this vulnerability that allows us to kind of build a bond that, that supports each other on the days when it gets really tough and we need to be there for each other. Um, so, yeah. Just come out and be at a Phoenix event or help us start one. I love it when you get to get ugly with people. You know, boys (laughs) don't have to worry about this so much. But for girls, like this is a big thing, right? And I think when you can be with a group of people and just be sweating and your hair is a disaster and, you know, no makeup and whatever, when you can get ugly with some folks, you are bonding. Okay, we are are close at that point. (laughs) Well, and I I think that's exactly what Phoenix is, right? We come together because we have this common background that we've walked sort of a path that was similar. And we push through the greater adversity of that activity of hiking up that mountain or riding a bike or whatever it is. And by the end of that, we are closer. And it's in that closeness that, that 
when I'm having a tough day, I don't have to drink because you all are there for me or vice versa. Yeah, I love that. And for everybody out there, of course, you know, I will put that link in the show notes so you can find the Phoenix. And I would love for you guys, volunteer, donate, show up, be a part of it. It's such a cool program. Scott, thank you so much for coming on and spending this time with me. What a pleasure to get to know you. Thanks for having me. It was great to chat. And uh, yeah, we'll talk more soon. You've reached the end of another great episode of the Addiction Unlimited podcast, candid and honest conversation about addiction and recovery. Be sure to visit us at addictionunlimited.com to join the conversation and access show notes and links to everything we talked about. Love this episode? Please take 30 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes to help us improve and give you the information you want. Thanks for listening. See you next week.